0: everyone, and welcome to Me, You, Us, a well-being podcast. It's another Well-Being Wednesday here at Consumers Energy, and I'm your host, Bill Krieger. Today, my guest is Shelly Ortega. She is a revenue assurance fraud supervisor here at Consumers Energy. So, Shelly, if you'd introduce yourself, we'll get the conversation started.
1: Thank you, Bill. I appreciate that. And yes, as you stated, I am Shelly Ortega, I have been with the Consumers Energy family for over 20 years at this point and excited to have a career within this company, but more excited to have this conversation today and started out with Bill is that I wanna let you know that I'm a part of a family that is rich in military service. I am the granddaughter of an Army and Marine Corps veteran, daughter of a Marine Corps veteran, And I do have numerous extended family members that have served in the Air Force, Army, and Marine Corps.
0: Wow. So I have to ask, because I grew up in a Marine Corps family, did you grow up making uh, hospital corners when you made your bed?
1: I did not. Um, My father, we spent a lot of time overseas in Japan, so I didn't have the opportunity to see him on a regular basis because he seemed to always be out doing something I do know that there was a strong emphasis placed on sir and ma'am, and please and thank you.
0: (laughs) Not surprising at all. (laughs) Not surprising at all. (laughs) Definitely a family rich in military service, which we're going to talk about. But before we do that, you know, revenue assurance fraud supervisor. That's a lot of words, and I'm not sure that our audience knows exactly what you do. So could you maybe tell us a little bit about what you do for a living and and how you got into it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I manage a group of investigators who investigate utility fraud and identity theft. And how I got into this bill is I started in this company in customer service. So indirectly, I would work with the fraud department and was really intrigued by how they investigate identity theft and utility fraud. So it took me a while, but a number of job positions, I ended up in the fraud department as an investigator and then really had an opportunity to develop the identity theft program that we now have in place with other work colleagues.
0: All right, So so that's, that's gotta be some pretty interesting work.
1: I think every day is a new day because we always have an opportunity to really redirect customers so they're on the right path, or even opportunities to help customers um, who are facing a burden of a bill to seek assistance and potentially get the resources and help that they need.
0: Well, and I kind of like what you're saying there, because when I think about fraud and investigation, my mind goes to a different space, but it sounds like really we're just trying to, to help our customers get where they need to be.
1: I think fraud is a very harsh word to be used. The way I think of it is that a lot of customers may have desperation at that point in time because they do need utilities. So it's more about avoidance than an actual criminal act. So I feel strongly that it's our job to help our customers obtain the services, keep the services, but absolutely provide them the information that they need for assistance as well.
0: Well, and that kind of redefines it for me. So I, I appreciate you um, sharing all of that. So your family did a lot of service, but not just your family Uh, You, uh, before coming to Consumers Energy, you served in the military as well. So um, tell us
1: a little bit about that. Yeah, I'm happy to share. So I did serve in the Air Force in the early 1990s. My title was Aerospace Medical Service Apprentice, and I was an EMT trained where I served in the flight surgeon's office serving flight personnel, and supporting emergency aircraft support.
0: Well, and from the description, though, it almost sounds like you were like in outer space, so.
1: I do have a story to share about that. (laughs) So,
0: uh, before we get there, um, what interested you in in the Air Force, and, and how did you get there?
1: Well, you know, I was actually overseas in Germany at that point in time, and I had done a few years in college, and um, really broke the bank there and thought of an opportunity. And what I was familiar with was you know, the services. So um, the motivation was really the GI Bill and then an opportunity to continue um, my discovery of foreign lands. So when I took the ASVAP test, which is the technical aptitude test initially, um, I was gonna join the Navy. And back then in the early 1990s, they really wanted women within the electronics field, but I had more of a desire to go in the medical field. So there was no openings in the Navy. So I walked right next door to the Air Force Recruitment Center and explained what my want was, and they were able to support me in that.
0: Um, so you uh, you joined the Air Force. Where did you go to uh, basic
1: training? So I went to basic training in San Antonio, Texas. And then from there, my technical training was at Brooks Air Force Base, also located in San Antonio. And my first duty station was actually in Altus Air Force Base in Oklahoma. And so what what was
0: uh, basic training like for you?
1: I think I was a little more prepared than most just based on my family and friends giving me advisement before I went. So one of the first rules that they provided for me was don't volunteer for anything, uh, keep a low profile and acclimate very quickly. And I did that. Um, not to say that I didn't have run-in with drill sergeants, I certainly did, um, but that was the whole point was you know to have a respect for authority and acclimate within a group and not as an individual.
0: Well, and when, you, so when you talk about not volunteering, that just reminds me, like, I, I didn't have that that counsel that you had, but I remember uh, going to basic training and the uh, the drill instructor saying, uh, who has a driver's license? And, you know, a bunch of people raised their hands because they thought they were going to get to go do something, and he handed them all a broom and said, here, drive these brooms around the barracks.
1: Very much so. Um, The one mistake I did do was, obviously, I brought photos of my loved ones, which would include my dad, in his military uniform. And my dad was a high enlisted rank. So when they tore your locker apart, um, they came across that photo and, of course, took advantage of that um, and kept asking me, you know, are you going to tell your daddy on us, you know, are you gonna cry? And I certainly would not. But they had a lot of fun with it. But at the time, it was very stressful.
0: Oh no, I can only imagine. And I remember the the folks uh, that I, I went in with. Uh, if they had military ties, they certainly didn't uh, didn't share
1: them. Yes, I think it's um it's fun to reflect back and have those stories about what happened in basic training uh, because. <laughs> You're not prepared for it. Even though I was given a lot of advisement, um, you're there alone and it's a matter of survival.
0: Yes. And anyone that tells you they were fully prepared for it is, is uh, not telling you the whole truth.
1: That is, that is true. <laughs> At least that's
0: my opinion. So when, <laughs> when you went, so when I went to basic training, uh, we were not integrated. It was a uh, segregated males and females. And when, so when you went to basic training, um,
1: had that changed? So we didn't serve in the same unit, but we would be in the same buildings. So they did keep us separate, but we certainly crossed paths. Um, I can share with you when I went to my first duty station that I was the first female medical technician within their group. So that was a different um, structure for them. And we had to learn to work with one another. I mean, I certainly had the same training as anyone else, but it did take them by surprise.
0: So, I mean, it was still, there was still a time then where, um, women hadn't served a lot in what we would say are a non-traditional role. So what was that like for you to be kind of the first, uh, female to, to do that role?
1: It really strengthened me. I, you know, obviously was very young when I joined the military, and it was not only an education for me, but it was an opportunity to re-educate those around me. So I can give you a great example of that. Um, My first supervisor was showing me around the office, and then he directed me to the room where there was a coffee pot, and he was like, well, here's where you can make coffee, And I knew immediately what he was leading to uh, because that was established roles that someone, a female, potentially would do that for other people in the office and take on that, you know, um, duty. So I quickly redirected him and and let him know that I did not drink coffee. And that was the end of that. So it took a while (laughs) to you know, make myself known and, and that I was there to serve the same mission as anyone else and that I was certainly capable and qualified based on my training.
0: So did you feel, though, that you had to be better at what you did just to stand out?
1: I certainly wanted to be better. Um, I love a challenge, and that is who I am as an individual, but certainly at that point in time, you're just learning as you go. And and when you're so young and and you're the first one, it's an opportunity to really establish yourself. So, yes, um, definitely wanted to take advantage of any opportunities that came my way. And um, when you talk about even consumers' energy culture values of ownership and being deliberate, um, those are characteristics that serve you well, both within the corporation and in the military.
0: Well, yes, um, absolutely. And, you know, I, I talk to people who have never been in the military that were in very similar situations where you might go to a meeting and because you're a female, um, you're the note taker, you're the secretary. And um, so, you know, good for you for saying, hey, I don't drink coffee, but thanks for showing me where the coffee pot is. Um, that's a, a pretty good and strong message. Um, to send. Um, so once you got done with basic training in your um, in your uh, job training, did you go to other duty stations and what kind of work did you do?
1: So I didn't have an opportunity to go to other duty stations, but I certainly had opportunity. And the, the one that stands out in my head is it was obviously in the desert in Texas. Um, Altus Air Force Base at that point in time was cargo planes. And that was training for the pilots, the co-pilots, navigators, you know, flight crew chiefs, etc. So they would ship us off. And typically I was there to support the flight surgeon for any medical emergencies that may occur. So that was the basis of my job. Um, when I service flight personnel with their yearly physicals, um, with anything that they needed as far as medical support, and then the most exciting part for me was in-flight emergencies. So basically, if there was issues with the plane, why they were in flight, then my staff was called in. So we would jump in the ambulance and go to the flight line and wait to see if any medical assistance was needed. Um, we did have training if there was any type of crashes and that would have been unfortunate i've never experienced that but we were certainly trained to manage that
0: so it sounds like a lot of uh, responsibility a lot of um, things that you need to know um you know we did when we were talking about this uh as we started the conversation um you did mention something about outer space so i I guess probably it's this is the time to ask what's the story behind that
1: yeah this is one of the things that very much stood out during that time frame when I was there is that the space shuttle and at that point in time, it was the Discovery would piggyback on our cargo plane. So it was coming from California. It landed on our base. And because I was part of the flight emergency crew, I had an opportunity to take the ambulance and just go on the flight line and basically babysit. So I just sat there in awe. And, of course, you know, after some time it picked up and then it went to Florida. But that stood out as a big moment for me.
0: So how big is that? How how big is the space shuttle or was the space shuttle?
1: You know, I can't tell you, but in my memory, it was the biggest thing. Um, obviously smaller than the cargo plane but it stood out to me because that was so important you know you grow up about that i remember being in japan and being in school when the space shuttle challenger uh, went into flight and then when i came home that's when we heard the news as far as the explosion so it's something that was so connective to my memory bank that when i had an opportunity for another space shuttle to sit there and just watch it. It was really, I,
0: yeah, I guess it would almost seem a little bit surreal to see something that you've seen on TV so many times to see it, almost like seeing your favorite star. Absolutely. So you, you know, you were talking about going to school in Japan and um, I, I think you even said living in Germany, it sounds like you kind of moved around how, how much time when you were, so I'm kind of going back a little bit, but how much time as a, as a kid did you spend um, actually in the United States?
1: I would say it was probably half and a half. Um, the first time that I got to travel overseas, um, I was in kindergarten. And that was in Japan and spent some time there, uh, came back. We spent a lot of time in California. And I ended up graduating there, coming back my senior year from Japan again, and then had an opportunity to go to Germany um, in my late teens, early 20s, before I joined the Air Force.
0: Wow. So that's a pretty exciting life to, to be able to see all those different places. How do you think that that uh, impacted you? How does that inform you know who you are and how you do things today?
1: My mom used to always say um, that I was that child that had no fear. And really, so for me, it was an opportunity to discover new things uh, beyond, you know, your bubble. So it has influenced me where I took advantage of even when I was at university to study abroad. So with that experience of being in the military, I had no fear to go and, you know, study abroad in India or England or Costa Rica. So I've had great opportunities just based on my initial experience of being a military brat. It's
0: really prepared you for being in the military. Absolutely. Interesting. Because I know I've talked to um, some military uh, families where the the kids are born in, in Germany or in another country and don't even come to the States until very late, maybe when they're in junior high or high school. And it's a little bit of a culture shock to them, but it sounds like you kind of moved back and forth, so it kind of eased that a little bit
1: for yes. you. Yes, when we were in uh, Japan the second time around, I do have two younger brothers, uh, very much younger than me, and they they spent a lot more time in Japan than I did. So when they came back as preteens, um, it was a culture shock for them. But here they are now, you know, twenty years plus later, and so. You know, they don't have the attachment that I do to the military as far as wanting to serve, but they certainly had the best childhood.
0: Yeah, I'm sure lots and lots of lessons learned. So if you look out over your life so far uh, and the time you spent um, with your family and in the time you spent uh, in the military, what are, what are some of the lessons or some of the things that you do in your work life that carry over from that experience?
1: Some of the best loves. I always say that structure is important. And I certainly was rebellious when I was a daughter of a Marine. But I've come to find the value of that, that everybody needs structure. And then to be challenged and to challenge yourself even more beyond what you think you can do. Certainly, um, I never dreamed that I would be, you know, in a position in the Air Force and servicing in the medical community, that I would have an opportunity, you know, to do sutures or IVs, or I even had an opportunity to assist in a birth. So I know that I'm highly capable of learning new things, but I have to seek them out. And so the final thought for me is that you know, you're taking that leaf of faith. So be fearless, you know, own your own destiny and take advantage of every opportunity that comes your way. Well, and that's a good
0: message for our, um, for our listeners. Um, you know, I think sometimes we allow fear to dictate, uh, the things that we do and we may miss out on things. So thank you so much for sharing that. You know, usually Shelly, I, uh, I say, Hey, we're getting close to the end of the podcast. You know, what are your final thoughts? But um, You beat me to the punch on that one.
1: This has been great. I enjoy talking to you, Bill, and I appreciate the opportunity um, to talk a little bit about my history. But, you know, more importantly, I love the fact that you're doing this and really showcasing women um, that have served in the military or are serving in the military. Um, because I have uh, the utmost respect for our military personnel. So a big shout out to everybody that if you haven't served in the military or if you have a family member or you know someone, um, they are extraordinary individuals and they are doing something not only for you and others, but are for our country.
0: Yes. And an interesting statistic is only about 1% of uh, citizens of the United States um, have actually served or are currently serving in the military. So... Um, raising your hand to do something that others um, either can't do or uh, just don't have an interest in doing um, means quite a bit. So thank you for sharing all of that. Uh, and, and thank you for sharing your story. I know uh, that it will serve as inspiration to our listeners. And again, thanks for agreeing to come on and taking time out of your day.
1: Thank you again, Bill.